to to edify us and glorify our father. Oh, Father, thank you for this day. We, we needed the rain. Ed told me he didn't need the rain. He can't mow, but we needed a little bit of rain to dry some things. I've seen the leaves falling. The seasons are changing. Pray for a good winter, Father. And Father... We are all assembled here this day to worship you. We love you. We love your son. We love that you have your spirit within us and that we can open up your word. And so, Father, as we do this today and as we offer up our praise and our prayers and our thanksgiving and and our love, we pray that it's acceptable in your sight. We pray that you're pleased with this body of Christ as we worship you and that that we join together and assemble together as a family, Father. And so we pray now that your word will ring true, that it will become real to us, that your word is more real than anything. Pray this day glorifies you and that you already have everything worked out and you know the end from the beginning. I pray that we are edified, Father, that we will be ready because we can trust in you. And we can know that you already have us in the palm of your hand. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to start, though, where we ended off last week. And that was Daniel chapter 2. So, if you brought your Bibles, that, that is the sword. If you brought them, open them up to Daniel chapter 2 and follow along with me. Because, you know, as I sat down to write, the first thing that started coming to my mind was, was open up your Bibles. You know, I've, it's just a personal thing with me. I've, I've sat and I've been to where I've never opened my Bible. I always said that if I'm ever in the opportunity to serve the Lord in this way, that one of the first words I'm going to say is open up your Bible <laughs> to the Word of God. That's what we're here is to learn and to, we, we can't, Can you love someone that you don't know? You can think you do, but until you know him, you can't. How do you get to know God to really trust him and love him? You've got to learn to know him. And you've got to learn to know our Lord Jesus and the Spirit. And that only way we can is through that word. So this is how we learn to love and to trust him, is opening up our Bibles. And then as I sat down to write and that thought was moved, this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 5 came to mind. We're walking this life in the flesh. But you know what? The, the things, the battle, the things that goes on in life isn't after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare aren't of the flesh either. They're not carnal through God, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of all of the imaginations of every high thing that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity, you and I, here's an important one, that we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience 
of Christ our Lord. You and I, whether we realize it or not, we're warriors. You are warriors. Whenever we put up prayers, it's the prayer warriors. Are you ready to go into prayer for someone? And we've seen how, how much prayer works. Whenever we join together, whenever we are ambassadors in Christ, we are presenting the gospel to people. You are a warrior against the darkness that is trying to win that soul. Our, our being is a warrior in Christ. And it says if, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about putting on that full armor of God, it talks about many things. It talks about our our protection and like the armor, the helmet of salvation and your feet shod with the gospel peace. But there's two types of weapons that we have. We have the sword, which the Bible says in, in Ephesians 6 is the word of God. The sword is the word of God and prayers are like our artillery. It's our long range. It's, it's the nuclear weapons. It's the artillery. It's the planes that comes in and bombs Prayer is your long range and the sword, the word of God is your short range. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'll just go ahead and put it there for a minute. This is off script. Okay, Deacon and I, he, he's, he's homeschooling and, and Sue's teaching him most of the time. But every once in a while we get into something. This week on a little bit of our history, we, he was thumbing through there and the history channel on YouTube had... The uh, you ever seen forged in fire? It, talking about like all of the knives or the swords or the different weapons. Well, this one said Ramphaya and uh, the sword of Persia and something else. And so I said, let's watch that one for a history class. And he's like, why? Why? Why do we want to pick that one? Because Ramphaya is in the Bible, and I pulled it up and I showed him that one of the words for sword that's in the Word of God is Ramphaya. Ramphaya, that sword, if you ever watched that one, that's the long Thracian sword. You know, on Daniel's vision that he saw, he saw that Babylon and the Chaldeans was the head of gold, and then you had the silver, and then you had the brass, and that brass was the, um, the Grecian and the Thracians, and that was the time of this sword, the Ramphaya. And the Ramphaya was the two-handed broadsword, it, it is very long and very sharp, and it's the one that, that they would march several feet beside each other, and they would be swinging that and clearing the path and trying. It, it could cut all the way through things. One of the things they had to do was slice completely through a pig. And so, but I said, that's not the sword that conquered the world. It conquered the world through Alexander the Great, but they got conquered by another sword, and that sword is called a Machaira. And when the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 6 that the word of God is the sword of the Holy Spirit, it's Machaira. And let me tell you the story of why that's important. Because, see, that's for up close and personal work. Our prayers is long range. But the Machaira is up close and personal because a Roman, uh, one of the trainers that trained the soldiers developed a short sword about like that and a shield 
that they could wield the shield in one hand pretty good and that short sword in the other. And so whenever the Thracians came against the Romans, they started laughing at them. They like, look at our big broadsword and they're coming at us. It's about like what when David and Goliath, they said, Goliath said, you're coming at me with these little sticks and staves, you know. Well, they started rushing up on them Romans. And you know what happened? That, that Ramphaya is a two-handed sword and heavy, and you have to do this. And about the time they, would, they were trained now, about the time they was raising that up, the shield went up. And when you do this, you have no power for a downward stroke. So the shield went up, and guess what's exposed? They could not bring the broadswords around and the Machiras was coming in and taking them out like that. And they conquered the world with the short sword that, that they were laughing at. Up close and personal, we're going to get right in their face, they said. As they were laughing, they were being taken out. So here's the thing. That Machira is the word of God. And the word of God gets us up close to personal, but what it's supposed to do is to pierce the heart so that they understand the word of God and they repent and they become born again into the kingdom of God. And that's the weapons of our warfare that tears down the strongholds of the enemy who likes to have that big ramphaya and do the destruction. But we're going to get up close and personal. So if you got your Bible... If you got your Machira, we're going to go into Daniel chapter 2 now. And last week, that's where we ended. And, and I want to take a new leg off from Daniel chapter 2 now. Because whenever we get in there, Daniel, you know, God had gave the vision to Nebuchadnezzar and it showed him. And Daniel said, okay, here is, here is what you dreamed because he couldn't remember it. And he told him about the head of gold and the arms and the chest of silver. And he, he told him that these were kingdoms that was going to be coming. And then he said, that was your dream. And the very last verse, it's not caught on here in 35. He said that in the days of that, that there's going to be a stone that was cut without hands. And it's going to come down and it's going to hit the toes that are made partly of iron and partly of clay. And it's going to crush those toes and it's going to send a shiver completely up that image that's going to break the entire image. The silver, the gold, the brass, the iron. Everything is going to crumble and crush. And verse 35 says that it will be a kingdom that will never end. But all of the kingdoms of the world will disintegrate and be blown away like the chaff. Wonder if. Sticks knew what they were doing, or I mean Kansas, with dust in the wind. Because that's, that's all those kingdoms are going to become, is dust in the wind. And so then we get to verse 45 down here as Daniel now gives the interpretation thereof. And in verse 45 of chapter 2, he said, The great God, the only true and living God, has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This was the dream. This is the interpretation. They are from the great God to make known to you, O king, what is going to be the recorded history of the world. Do you realize that what God gave to the king and Daniel interpreted is the history of the world in short form? What's, that, what's those little books that people do in high school that, that 
you only have to read a little bit to get the understanding. Cliff notes. That, that dream was like the cliff notes of the history of the world of what's going to get ready to happen. But I want to go up into verse uh, 36. This is the dream and we will now tell the interpretation. And as he goes on in verse 39, he says, You king are the head of gold and then you've been given all the kingdoms into your hand. But verse 39, an inferior kingdom will come after you and will conquer you. The word of God's making it clear that you were the most powerful, but somebody inferior to you is going to destroy you and take over. How does that happen? How does an inferior kingdom, I mean, if you look on the market of gold and silver, I mean, gold is how many more times more precious than silver? So if you talk about the power that's behind that, how can you take that powerful of a nation and it falls to something inferior? Let me tell you why it fell. Because it says after you. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, one thing he did, he might have took, whenever they conquered Jerusalem and took all of the children of Israel to be there and to serve under them along as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was among them, he was respectful to the things of God. In that all of those golden implements. And all of the cups. And all of the things that was used in the worship. And of the, the uh, temple whenever he destroyed it. He put it in storage. He didn't desecrate it. He, ha he didn't always follow God. He would tell Daniel. I believe in your God. Your God is the God. But then he would go off and do something else. But he knew that that, that was a God. But whenever the sun came after Nebuchadnezzar was over, you remember what happened. He's out there. The, the Medes and the Persians are coming. That kingdom of silver is coming against him. But you know what he said? We're the most powerful nation in the earth. We've got a fence. We've got a moat around our, our, our whole dominion here in Babylon. They had food for like six or seven years stored up. They had water, a never-ending supply of water. Underneath the walls of that moat ran a river. They had food, they had water, they had supplies and animals, and they were shielded by their walls. And they said, we have nothing to fear. They can stand out there and rot. And so to prove how powerful he was, uh, the king's son, Belshazzar, he said, all of those implements of gold that came from Jerusalem and from the temple, bring them up here and let's desecrate them. And they brought all the implements of God out. And he started pouring in the different alcoholic beverages and they were all throwing their party and they were all getting looped and they were praising their gods of wood and stone with the golden cups of God from his worship place. And all of a sudden, a hand came out, started writing on the wall. It just appeared out of nowhere. And Mene, Mene, Tikel, Upharsin was pinned upon the wall. And it said that the king's legs started shaking and he could not stop them. The knees were knocking, the body was rattling, and he didn't know what it meant. 
and no one. He called all of just all of his soothsayers in and all of his witchcraft people, and they said, we don't know what it is either. And his mama said, guess what? In the time of your daddy, there was something like that too, and there's only one man that the, the true God revealed these things to, the God of heaven, and that was Daniel. And they called Daniel in, and he said, do you really want to know what it is? He said, God has given me the answer, but I don't know if you want it. And he said, tell me. And he says, mene, mene, tikel, ufarsin means you've been weighed in the balance. You've been found wanting. And tonight, this very night, the kingdom will be taken from your hands. And an inferior kingdom came in. And you know how they came in? While he's desecrating the things of God, they're damming up the river that flowed underneath. And they come in on dry ground underneath. And about that same time that Daniel's telling them what it means, the army of the Medes and Persians come rushing into the castle and takes their life. In one night, one night, the most powerful nation of the world was taken down. You know why? Because their leaders were desecrating the things of God. Same thing, is, and I'm glad you said that. What's going on today? The leaders are flaunting in the face of desecrating the things of God. Prayer and the word of God has we got to bombard them with prayer long range and we got to get some people close range to stick them with that sword the word of God so that they start repenting and coming back before it's too late for everyone. I'm thinking the Lord's leading me next week to talking about raising up people for the crisis. That's a preview of coming attractions possibly because just like with Daniel whenever there's a crisis. God's raising up people for the crisis. We're that people. We're that people of God. So they were desecrating and, and they fell. And that was at the dream. An inferior kingdom's going to come. And when moral decay and depravity comes to a nation from the leaders and forced on the people, the nation falls. It has to. Oh, I wanted to go off on something else, but we're not. The silver gives way to brass. Brass gives way to iron. Iron gives way to miry clay and iron mixed together. And they're going to try to mingle themselves together with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave to one another just as iron shall not cleave with clay. And I want you to remember that God controls history. He gave that vision of what all of that means. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. It was on your Berean chapters. It says, and God has made from one blood. Every nation of man that dwells upon the face of the earth. And here's what I want you to know. God's put them there. But listen to what the second half of that verse said. Acts 17, 26. And he, God, has determined the pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. And he does it so that they might seek the Lord. I'm telling you what, we better be seeking the Lord right now and getting ready. But he sets up the kingdoms. He sets up pre-appointed times and boundaries. He already knows what's going on. And he knows how long they stand, how far they reach, and where they go. God 
knows the history. He knows it from the front to the back. He's already seen it. He's got pre-appointed dwellings of all nations and their times. And we see a broad image of that here. In verse 44, the green. This is where I want to go to though and veer off today. In the days of these kings, in the days of the ten toes and the feet of iron and clay mixed, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up. He will establish. He will put in place a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. During that time, he will set it up. It will stand forever. It will break in pieces. There is a day coming when the kingdom of God is going to break in pieces and destroy the nations of this world. His kingdom stands forever. The rest will be blowing like dust in the wind. And in as much, now here's what Daniel says about that time. In as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain, underline that term. We said last week that that stone's representing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our rock, and he's the rock upon which his church is going to be built. And as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain, you know who the mountain is? Us. I'm going to show you in a minute. But in, the stone's going to come out of that mountain because he bought and paid for it with his, and it's his body. That stone's going to come out and it's going to break it all into pieces in the days of those kings. The great God has determined it, pre-appointed it. He will establish it. Be it made known to the king that this all shall come to pass. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. And God shared with them that that is what is going to get ready to happen. And you know what? That kingdom that was spoken of there was set up and it was established in 30 A.D. When our Lord came into this world and by 30 A.D. it was time for him to go to the cross and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was raised up again after 40 days of talking to his disciples. He was taken up into the heavens and he sits upon the right hand of God. And he is waiting until the earth becomes his footstool. You know what happens? Your, your feet goes on the footstool. Well, that's when it's going to crush these kingdoms. So I told you that that mountain is us, right? It, the mountain is us, but it's also going to be after us. It will be the, the ones that comes out of, of uh, Jacob's trouble in those seven years of the tribulation. And here's where we'll go. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. We'll begin in verse 1, and it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. That's now. That's the kingdoms with the toes of iron and clay. It says, In the latter days... The mountain, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the Lord's house. I'm going to say that again. The mountain of whose house? Yeah, it's God's house. It's the Lord's house. So what's the mountain? The Lord's house. It shall come to pass in those latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established. What did he say he was going to do in the days of those kings? I will establish my kingdom. 
So the mountains of the Lord's house will be established on top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills. Praise God. And all nations are going to flow into it. That means that mountain is filling up as we preach the gospel. And there's going to come a time that that's going to be fulfilled. And when that last one is fulfilled, a trump's going to sound. Oh, praise God. But he says... Many people's going to come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go up to the Lord's house and then to the house of the God of Jacob. And he's going to teach us his ways and we're going to walk in his paths. Because out of Zion will go forth the law and out of the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. And then you go to Micah chapter 4 and that wonderful prophet says the same thing. He said, now it will come to pass in the latter days. That the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established at the top of the mountains and be exalted above the hills and the people and the nations are going to flow in and they're going to say, let's go to the house of Jacob and let's go worship and let's go exalt the Lord God. We're going to walk in his path. He's going to teach us his word and we're going to go forth the law out of Zion and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. And I want to talk about that kingdom. I want to talk about that kingdom that he set up. That he established there in A.D. 30 on his death. I know right when it started. I'm going to show you that right now. The Lord. we know, I want to tell you something too. As we get ready to do this. People start talking about when the end is going to be. And all of this. You know I, I, I googled that. Give me a list. Of all of the times. That, that prominent men has said that the world is going to end and set a date. I was surprised. I thought it was only a couple. It started in like A.D. 66, and it was a list yay long. Over and over and over, people would say, this is the end. This is going to be the day of the Lord. This is when it's going to happen. And as, as you get closer and closer, prominent names. I mean, in the last 60 years, Prominent names that if I put the names out there, you'd say, oh, I know them. I know them. They're on TV. They're they're doing this over and over. They said, this is going to be the day. And then they would go. Some of them, there's two or three denominations that's still practicing and worshiping and saying that, that they're of God. But their founders built th that uh, group by saying that the that we've got the calculations and the world's going to end right now. So people started following them and they're still there today even though they went, oops, I was wrong. I miscalculated and it's really this day and oops, I was wrong. There's one guy that put three of them out. There's several modern day ones that's put two of them out and put books out and 88 reasons why it's going to end in 1988 and there was all kinds of stuff going all the way through to the last year or two. There's one for this year. So I can pretty much rest assured that it's probably not happening because God is going to allow no man to take credit for calling the end of the world. He's the only one that knows. But I want you to know that this goes on and on. And what I want to tell you is anyone who gives you a false sense of, of either hope or of insecurity about it don't listen to it. My Bible doesn't say always be ye calculating and figuring out when God's going to have the end of the world and then telling everybody to follow you. 
and making a deal out of it. My Bible says, be ye ready, for you know not the hour that the Lord God shall come. Even the angels in heaven don't know. So I guarantee you it's not going to be when these clowns are putting out dates. So be ye ready. Why? Because that kingdom is here. It has been established and the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is a trumpet sound and a shout of God. And we're going to rise up. And I want to share that with you a little bit. Mark chapter 1. Let's go there. Let's start with Mark 1. That's a good one. Jesus is just baptized of John in the river Jordan. The next thing, he goes and is led by the Spirit of God. Mark's version, I think, says drove him. He was drove to the wilderness to be tempted out there and it says, after he got done with that, after he got done and passed that 40 days and 40 nights of the temptation, look what it says there in verse 14. After John, the baptizer, was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching. Boy, I like that. He came in preaching. What was he preaching? The gospel of God and what? And the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God. He is now, as his, his baptism was to fulfill all righteousness and to propel him into the ministry that he had before the cross. And to put out the word that the kingdom is at hand. It is nigh, it is at hand. The good news for you all, he was telling them as he preached in Galilee, is the kingdom of God that was going to be established, that Daniel talked about. It's going to be set up in the days of these kings were here. And it is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel for the time is what? Fulfilled. It's time. It's at hand. It's been fulfilled. We are getting ready to put it into place right now. So believe the gospel that I'm telling you. Jesus came at a specific time to fulfill the word of God who knows and controls history. Matthew 12. Next one. There's one brought to Jesus. He was demon possessed. This, this poor fellow was blind. He was mute. He couldn't see. He couldn't talk. They had, the demons had a hold of him and they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus with the word was able to heal him. And it says that he could see and that he could speak. And the religious leaders of the day that didn't want their power taken away from him said, this guy, he heals by the power of Beelzebub. That's why he does it. He is of the demons. And so they're listening to him. And Jesus says, oh no. Then how do your people try to do it then? By what? He said, I want to tell you something. If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out these demons. And I like Luke's version too. Because Luke's version says, if I, by the finger of God. And my mind goes all the way back to Egypt. Whenever Moses was having the showdown with the sorcerers and then all the plagues was coming in and the first few they were able to imitate too but they came to one that they couldn't imitate and they went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like what's up why can't you do that and they go we can't do this one because it is from the finger of God. 
Jesus said, if I, by the finger of God, if I, by the Spirit of God, if I cast out demons, know ye this, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here. It's coming right now. It's ready to be brought out. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Mark 9. Mark 9 is the next one. I want to talk about this kingdom because you and I are a part of this kingdom that he's talking about. He said unto them in Mark 9, 1, Verily, truthfully, I say to you, there be some of you that stand here that shall not taste of what? You're not going to see death until what? Till you see the kingdom come with power. That narrows it down, doesn't it? It's got to be within their lifetime. Some of you, you're going to see the kingdom come with power and you're not going to taste death because it's getting ready to come. It's very close. It's at hand. I know when that happened. That's Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Whenever he, in chapter 1, and that's where we're going in a minute if you want to. I got a couple more before I get to that one. But in Acts chapter 1, he's talking to him. He, he ascends into heaven and he tells him to go wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Until you are endued with power. And you're going to see what's going to get ready to happen. He said, this is when the kingdom, you will see the kingdom come with power. And that's when it's going to take place in Acts chapter 2. But Mark 14 first. All the way up, we're getting ready now. It's the Passover Eve. They're, They're eating the Passover lamb. And as Jesus leads them through the Passover supper, it is now time for the kingdom to convert over to the New Testament, to the church. The age of Israel is going to be over for a spell while the church age comes into being, the kingdom of God. And Jesus, as he shifts now from the Passover supper, he says, I'm going to do a new supper with you here. And he says this, verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he began giving it to them. And he said, take and eat of this, for this represents my body. And then he took of the cup, and when he had given thanks for it, he gave it to them, and he said, drink all of you from this. And he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. This is the new covenant that is being instituted now. This one's passing away, and this is the new covenant which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day that I can drink it with you in the kingdom of God. Every week when we gather together and we partake of that, we are drinking of the cup in participation with Christ. He said, I'm going, the next time I drink, it will be with you in the kingdom of God. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, so he's still waiting for the kingdom. It'll be the next time that I partake of it. Joseph of Arimathea, that night Christ is arrested. He's taken and he's put through torture for the next several hours. He's up on the cross. He's judged for our sins from noon to three in darkness. At three, the light comes. The temple veil is rent. That's over. It's it's been taken out. He says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's done. And he gives up his spirit. Joseph of Arimathea comes to, to Pilate and he says, I want, I, want it, I want the body of Jesus. I don't want it left hanging there. I've got a tomb to place him in. I like what it says there. It says he craved. It says 
He says, Joseph of Arimathea, he was an honorable man, a counselor. He waited for the kingdom of God. You see, he's still waiting for it to come. And he came and went boldly to Pilate and he craved the body of Christ. Do you crave for Sunday morning to come around so that you can partake of the body of Christ with him again? Yes. He was craving the kingdom and he was craving the body of Christ and he asked for it and he went and got it. But the kingdom of God is not here yet. But he's looking for it and he's craving it to come. Another one, Luke 17. Here's another little hint that says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus said. He said, you're going to be looking for it. Don't think that it's going to be this earthly kingdom. When Pilate asked him, he said, no, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it was, my servants would fight. But my kingdom's not of this earth. The kingdom of God, he told his disciples, is going to be within you, in your heart. Then, Acts 1. I told you I'd get there. Turn to Acts chapter 1 in your sword and, and follow along with me. Acts 1. There, Luke begins to write. And Luke writes to old Theophilus. And I always love that name, Theophilus. You know what Theophilus means? It's a dual word. Philo is where we get like Philadelphia. It's a city of brotherly what? Love. So Philo and, and Phila is the term for love. And Theo is the term for God. So like theology is the study of God. So Theophilus was a lover of God. That's what his name means. Oh, every one of you guys are Theophiluses. And he says, oh, Theophilus, I'm going to begin, you know, just like my former treaty to write unto you all the things which Jesus began both to do and to teach. And I like that phrase because he didn't say, you know, I, I've, I've had a, uh, someone that used to tell me, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, you don't do what I do, but you're going to do what I say. You know, that's like your parents telling you that. But. Jesus to us, he began both to do, so he walked the walk first, and then he told us to follow him. So he began to both do and then to teach. He did it until the very day, it says, that he was risen from them. And until the very day, he spent 40 days teaching unto them the things pertaining to what? Kingdom of God. Getting ready for it. Because I'm going to get ready to rise and you're going to get ready to be endued with power. And this kingdom is going to get ready to come and start right now through you. And so then I know that that is like looking forward to the next chapter. If you hold your place there and go to chapter 8 of Acts and, and look in there. It says in, by the time you get to chapter 8, it says that uh, Philip in verse 12, he had went into a town to preach the word of God. And as he was preaching the word of God, there was a man called Simon the sorcerer that was there. And the people always listened to him because he did all these mighty works and everything. But then when Philip came in preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they all believed on him. Even Simon, it says at that point, believed and was baptized into Christ. So the kingdom of God has already came. He's telling them now about the kingdom of God. And here's how you get into the kingdom of God. And they were all baptized into Christ. And, and uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 23 and 31, if you look there, it says, 
that there was a day appointed Paul's teaching. And they came to Paul and he speak and he preached and he solemnly testified to the things that concerns the kingdom of God. You see, it's already here. He's telling them about it now and how you get into this kingdom. And he persuaded them about Jesus and this kingdom from the law and the prophets from morning until evening. And then it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed and rented a house and preached the kingdom of God. So folks, you and I are a part of the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom that was talked about in Daniel chapter 2. When it says, in the days of these kings, I will establish a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. We don't have to worry about our kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Everybody talks about, well, we need to change this. And we need these people in office or we need to do that. No. You know why? Because you're trying to put a band-aid on a spiritual problem with physical solutions. The solution to the problem is spiritual, not physical. The solution to the problem is our weapons of warfare, the word of God and prayer. It's not who's the next person in line because they're all cut from the same cloth. And until we realize that as a family of God and start worrying about those things, they are all from the same cut of cloth led by the same folk at the top. And I'm not talking about real people either. I'm talking about the one of darkness that's guiding them. But we got to realize that because the kingdom of God is here and that's our kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this earth. We're passing through and we're a part of it, but that's not it. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus was there, we've hit on it a couple times, but it's worth repeating that you shall not see the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of Christ. Unless you're born again. Flesh and blood inherits flesh and blood. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And this is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom that we're in. Paul preached for two years concerning Christ. And the kingdom of God. And the word of God is certain Daniel said. And the interpretation thereof is sure. These things are going to happen. So you know what that means for us? Be ye Ready, because at any time we can be lifted up. Why do I say that? I told you to hold your spot in Acts 1. Come on back with me. We're going to be closing in a minute. Acts chapter 1. The apostles, they're standing there. Jesus was talking to them, and all of a sudden, while he's talking to them about being there and going and waiting until you're endued with the power and that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. And while he's saying that, he begins to rise and ascend out of their sight. And he goes up into the clouds. And I mean, they're amazed. I mean, he's one minute talking and the next minute going up. Without warning, he's just gone and they're all... And as they're doing that, these two men in white apparel come by. He says, hey, ye men of Galilee, <laughs> why are you standing there looking up into the clouds at that Jesus? And you know what it says there? Why are you looking up? This same Jesus, as he, as he was taken up into heaven in like manner, 
is coming back. He's coming back in like manner as you just seen him go. Did you hear that? What I want you to know is Jesus isn't hardly out of a cloud yet going to the right hand of God and the angel is already saying he's coming back. He's coming back. He, he's not even hardly gone and he's coming back. Be ye ready. The first thing was he's coming back. How is he coming back? Oh, this is what I want you to know. In the same way he went. What's that look like? What's that mean? Preacher, what are you trying to tell me? Well, first of all, look at verse 4 up there. Look at verse 4. I, I put that in red right there. It says there in verse 4, And being assembled together with them. The first thing that I need to realize about him coming back in the same way he went, he's coming back for those who are assembling together with him. Those that are listening to him teach, those who want to be in his presence, and those who want to be with him, they were assembled. He called them together. He's called us to be together on the first day of the week. And they were those that were gathered together with him were watching and said, they're coming back for you in the like manner he went. Don't you love to assemble yourselves together? That's the first thing that I see here is that he's, he's going to, if it's like manner, he's coming back for those who are assembling themselves together. I think Hebrews 10 backs me up on this. Man, I've heard this for a long time. Whenever I was an itty-bitty Christian back in 1979-80, it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You know, Jesus in this kingdom is our hope. Let us hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised you these things is faithful. Let us consider one another. That's you and I. Start considering one another. Get a hold of one another. Call, text, write, do something. Get a hold of one another in Christ. Let us consider each other in order to stir each one of us up in good works. Why? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But you're exhorting one another to be here and so much more what? As the day approaches. Is it just me or do you see the day approaching? I see the day approaching. So what, what, if we're looking for that day when he can come at any moment, what should we be doing? Assembling ourselves together. Don't forsake that as the manner of some is. There's a brother that has some conversations with me all the time about some folks that he studies with and talks to. Oh, they don't believe in any of this about... Um, there could be a time that people are lost or these things. I am telling you, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The word on the street from the TV preachers is, is everything's okay. <laughs> don't have to worry. Oh, you're just going to be blessed. You're the head, not the tail. All kinds of stuff that they're telling you. The word of God tells me, be ye ready. 
assemble yourselves together. And you know what? It's going to be important. You're going to have to hold fast to the confession of your faith. And you're going to have to encourage each other to come together. Why? Because he's going to get ready to come in the like manner that he went. And he's looking for those that's assembling themselves together with him and partaking of his body, the fruit of the vine with him as he is in the kingdom of heaven. If, if we sin willfully after we have the knowledge of what we're supposed to do, there's no more sacrifice for sin. If we trod underfoot the word of God and what Christ did for us, and we don't have no more love than that than the one to assemble together to be with him, he says, man, I don't know what else can be done for you. It should make you want to be there and to be a part of that. As you see the day approaching, encourage each other even the more you need it. And you need to be looking up. Because that's the second thing that I see in the like manner as he left. He's coming again. He's coming for those that are looking up for him and awaiting that coming. He, they're intently staring at the sky and not paying attention to what's going around. They didn't know those two guys in white had suddenly come around to them. Because their focus was on who? The Lord and where he was. And why am I not with him yet? And their focus was looking up, not around at everything that's around me. Another scripture on that. Luke 21. Luke 21, 25, when these things began to come to pass, this is Jesus talking about those very times of the end. When these things began to come to pass, then what? Look up. Look up. Why? Because you need to lift your heads up. Don't be paying attention to the noise. Look up. Lift your head up. Because your redemption is drawn nigh. You see, we're the ones that want to be redeemed. So we're looking up. We are assembled together. We are looking up because he's coming back in the same manner in which he left. And as you see the day approaching, be ye ready. Because I also see that as he was talking in the same like manner as he went up, there wasn't no fanfare, was there? There wasn't no, okay, I'm going to get ready to go in about 15 minutes so you all pay attention to me real close. No, just while he was talking, lift off. So that means that without any type of warning that those who are not looking up and seeing him coming back, I think we're going to know to be looking up because it just said, as you see the day approaching. He's given us some signs, he's given us some seasons, but not the day and the hour. But you can kind of begin to know when to be looking up. Because they were looking up when he left, and when he comes back, it's again going to be without fanfare. God has revealed all of history to us. says this, the last thing it was, as he comes in like manner the way he left, he spoke with those that were assembled. They were looking up, and he went up into what? The clouds went up into heaven into the clouds. Right. So he's going to come in like manner. What's Revelation 1 verse 7 say? It says this. Behold. Behold. He's coming with what? So where we need to be looking? Up. Behold. He's coming with the clouds. And every eye is going to see then. Because he's going to be like lightning when he comes. It says in another passage. As lightning goes around the world from the east to the west. He shall come down that quick without fanfare. The only fanfare is is when he's coming in the clouds and you're looking up. 
You're going to hear the trumpet sound and the shout of the voice of the archangel and that trump of God. And it says the dead in who? Christ is going to rise first. And then those of us which are alive and remain shall be risen together with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want you to know that Paul was looking for Jesus to come in his day. He's, the Thessalonians were worried. They were worried that some folks had died and not seen the day of the Lord's coming for them. And what's going to happen? Why, why did they do that? And he's reassuring them. At the end of this, he says, Comfort one another, therefore, with these words. He's saying, Their death is not going to precede anything. Don't you know? That day hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And when it does, that trump and the voice is going to shout. And he's coming in the clouds. And we're going to, just as he went, we are going to arise. First, those who have died in Christ. They are going to arise. And we're going to see that. And then he says, then we. He's talking about himself. We that are alive and remain, we're going up. He has been ready from the day he fell off his horse and went in and was told him what he was supposed to do. He's been ready for the day to come. Are we ready for the day to come? I don't think we, we get that excited that it could be. Paul said, man, I'm ready. I, I almost brought my Bible and kept you here another half an hour and go through First and Second Thessalonians. Every chapter was talking about the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Be ye ready. Get ready. It's, it's happening. So I'll end with that. Maybe that's for another time. Ray, come on up and, and bring the restoration project up and as we close. Whew, dead in Christ. You see this first one. Is only for the bride. It's for the kingdom. That was established. It, it wasn't. It's the dead in Christ. It's for those that have. In this era. There's going to be another. Time of a resurrection. For the other ones that comes. Every, in Corinthians it says. Everyone in their order. The first one. The first fruits is Jesus. Then it's the body of Christ. His church. Then it will be all of those from the Old Testament times and the tribulation time leading into that. But we will be the next ones. It's the dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ and remain. And the everyone else is what was the name of that series and books and stuff? They were left. Yeah. I don't want to be left behind. Man, I heard one preacher talking the other day. And he was talking about. His grandpa was a preacher. His daddy was a preacher. And every week they talked about the Lord Jesus coming again and being ready. They used to do that back then, you know, because they wanted to be ready. They really believed that it could happen, just like Paul writing to these folks. And he said, they always told me that. And he said, and you don't want to be left behind. And he said, I reckon he was about 11, 12 years old. He said he came home from school. Mom was always home. She wasn't home. <laughs> he looked all around the house. Mom. He looked in closets. Mom. Dad. Nobody was home. He said, I sat down in my bedroom and cried and said, I'm left behind. I'm left behind by myself. That was scary to that young boy. He was still talking about it that day and he was in his 80s. 
I don't want to be left behind. I want to be ready. How about you? I want to be gathered together, assemble ourselves together. I want to be communing with the Lord. I want to be looking up as I see that day approaching. I want you to be encouraging me and me to be encouraging you to stay together, to stand strong to the profession of our faith and to be ready for that day to come. So I hope this day that from Daniel 2 and the portrait of history, that those times are here, he said. It's time that it could happen at any time that the church would be taken up with him in the like manner that he came. I pray that if you have not made yourself ready for the kingdom, that you make that decision today. And that today's the day you are. You come on up and, and we'll get that. And if not, I pray that today's the day that if you aren't already, that now you realize I need to be looking up. I need to be assembling myself together. And I need to be encouraging all of my brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way. And Father, so thankful how you reveal things in your word. The things that prove that you are of God is that you're not like the men who set a date and oops, I was off a little bit so I got to reset this one and stay with me now. And oops, stay with me. It's, it's going to happen, but it's later. No, you are the God who calls the shots exactly as they are because you are God. And that gives us faith that you are of God. And it gives us trust that you know our situation each and every day. And Father, I pray that we begin our long-range reconnaissance with prayer. I pray that those that we come in contact with, that we take the shield of faith and block the darts of Satan that tries to come back at us from their mouth and from their actions. And I pray that our Makaira, the word of God, will go into their heart that is now exposed and that it will soften the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh and that your law can be written and revealed there. And I pray, Father, that as we do, I pray that we assemble ourselves together in love with each other we are the body of christ each one an important part for a purpose i pray that we hold fast our confession of faith and i pray father that we commune with you again and that one day we will see jesus as he is and he will be drinking of that communion cup with us in heaven face to face and not just in a spiritual sense with us now and father i thank you for your word and for these saints of yours that are gathered here together today. May our worship and our study have been in spirit and in truth and in pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh